You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 229, and I'm your host, Tom Gallo. This edition of Look at My Records features an interview with Brooklyn artist Aura Pendola. The project of songwriter Joanna Schubert recently shared their debut album as Aura Pendola, an eclectic and vibrant 11-song collection titled Waiting for the Sky to Speak. The record, which is described as a celebration of choosing life even in the face of its ephemerality and of finding motion even in the midst of stillness, shimmers with bursts of energy and emotion, swinging from playfulness to earnestness with deft technicolor brushstrokes. During the interview, Schubert and I spoke at length about the record, including its themes, her morning pages writing strategy when approaching certain tracks, and how playing a supporting role in projects like Barry helped shape her songwriting. We also touched on Schubert's formative years in New Jersey, including her experiences attending LaGuardia High School of the Performing Arts in Manhattan. And of course, Schubert picked some awesome records from my collection, including choice cuts from Joni Mitchell, TLC, Beach House, and more. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, information on upcoming live events, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. All right. Super excited for this edition of Look at My Records with Joanna Schubert, who performs as Oro Pendola, your new record, Waiting for the Sky to Speak, is out now via Spirit House Records. Super exciting. Joanna, how are you today? I'm good today. Thanks for having me, Tom. How are you doing? I'm doing well as well. Very excited to speak with you about the new record and talk about you as an artist as well. Uh, before we dive into this this great new record, uh, I noticed you grew up in New Jersey. I live in New Jersey, grew up part partially in New Jersey, and I think we're about the same age, or at least like both millennials, I think. So, Definitely both millennials. Yeah, so I like uh, <laughs> anytime I hear someone's from northern New Jersey and a millennial is an interesting time to grow up in New Jersey and be into music. Uh, very active music scene in the 2000s. So what was it like? You're from Bergen County. What were your experiences like playing music here as a young person? Uh, were you active in local music scenes? And what was your exposure to music as a youth and a teenager? Yeah, well, I actually... Um... Uh, well, wait, are you, are, you also, are you also Bergen County? I'm from Essex County, so close nice. by. Okay, cool. Um, well, yeah, I, I didn't really, I didn't really play, um, <clears throat> actively as a, as a kid and teen. Like, I didn't, I didn't get involved in, like, doing, like, playing shows in any way until, 
until college. Um, so before that, um, yeah, I was more just like a music enjoyer. And also like I always played, just like played music on my own and like set up little, I mean, I, I had like, the closest thing I had to a band was when I was 12, um, me and two of my friends formed a group called the, the Three Faces of Heaven. Nice. <laughs> and it was like essentially Destiny's Child. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> Any recordings so exist of like, that? Um, no original <laughs> recordings exist of it, but I, but I remember both. It was only two songs and I, I wrote both of them and then like arranged harmonies. Um, I remember that we would record on cassette in my living room, just like using a little. That is really cool. And that's a great way to get your start in arranging harmonies and stuff. So you're thinking about that stuff pretty early on. What what changed for you when you when you got a little older that you wanted to shift from being an enjoyer or, you know, someone that, you know, watches and listens to music goes to shows what changed that you wanted to become someone that was more creative and writing your own songs and doing things like that well i guess um it's like i was always i was always creating but i guess the shift the shift from doing the creating to like wanting wanting to share with other people in some kind of like a public sort of way um was God, I like wonder if the very first time Oh no, actually it was in high school. So I went to I went to LaGuardia. Oh wow, cool. Um, yeah. The performing arts school for everyone in the that doesn't know in the in Manhattan. Yeah, but I went for and I went illegally because I lived <laughs> <laughs> um, but I uh but I went for theater cool. at the time. So that was like <clears throat> the main context in which I was like performing in, in front of people. Um, and there weren't um, really opportunities to, like the school day was divided into your major and then academics. So you couldn't like take a music class or take another class. It was very, very focused on your specialty. So this there was this talent show called, this like all school talent show that you had to audition for called Rising Stars. And at the time, I, like, I had been writing songs in a more, um, I don't know, in a way that I felt a little more excited about for a couple, like a year, a year-ish. Um, and so I auditioned with one of my songs, and so I did, like, of the gala, the Rising Stars gala with um, <laughs> the first song that I had ever written called or the first song I had written that I considered a quote-unquote real song, but like, you know, I wrote as a kid all the time. Um, it was called Home, and it was inspired by a, the breakup. Oh, wow. What, what do you remember about that song? What did it sound like? What, what were you inspired by as far as songwriters or musicians? At the time, I was really... Um, uh, I was really into, like, acoustic singer-songwriters, so I was into like, <clears throat> I was into Ben Folds and Regina Spector 
and Sarah Barilla's and kind of like all of the um, that. But I but I also had been. It's funny. I kind of shied away from this for a long time, but now I I like find a little more pride in it. Same, I was yeah. I grew up on on like. Um, I grew up pretty intensely on like '90s bubblegum pop and like '90s R&B pop and that, stuff, just all of the, really like mainstream good, yeah. shit. Totally. So I think that even though I wasn't listening to that anymore, really at that time, um, I it was all kind of like infiltrating. But yeah, I, I definitely had my my few years of intense acoustic singer songwriter. That's cool, and it's interesting because I'm not a songwriter, but I've liked so many different artists and musicians over the course of my life, including Ben Folds and that Ben Folds 5 record, uh, Whatever and Ever, Amen. And I think for a while I kind of like pushed it out, and I'm like, I don't want people to know that I liked <laughs> this. But then you really go back and listen to it, and you realize that as a young kid, you didn't realize who their influences were and it's stuff you kind of like came back around to. Like I listen to that record and I think, Oh, it seems like you really like Todd Rundgren a lot and stuff like that. Mm. So, Yeah. And I think there's also like, I don't know. I, I do sometimes try to wonder, like, when I try to wonder, I, I wonder like, what is it about the music that we're like a little bit embarrassed <laughs> about liking? And I feel like sometimes I feel like it comes back to like, I don't know, like a bit of an earnestness. Yeah. Like, is there something that that like we're allergic to to a kind of earnestness or a kind of like putting it all out there in a way that I don't know, that like somehow doesn't feel artful or doesn't feel like totally, but also doesn't feel totally raw. Yeah. It's interesting to think about because now I feel like I've come full circle and just kind of embraced everything I've liked and not, <laughs> decided not to care anymore in my 30s. Yeah. Especially, you mentioned, Agreed. I guess, 90s bubblegum pop, especially the more R&B influenced stuff. So much of that is great. And when I DJ, it's I so play it good. a lot, actually. People love it. Yeah. It's so good. And the, and the um, I mean, the production for a lot of for a lot of these artists was just like insane. I mean the songwriting too, but just the I don't know, like the nineties pop sound is really interesting to me. Totally. Really cool to hear about your history and that you went to LaGuardia High School. That must have been a really uh, great experience for you as an artist. But Yeah, it was it was it was cool. It was um <clears throat> it was I was just talking to um I was talking to somebody about the transition between, you know, like just being in my New Jersey town, yeah. you know, only for a while and then suddenly being like a young 14-year-old who's like traveling to the city every day and like figuring out the subway system and kind of, yeah, just opening my eyes to a new life. Those memories have been flooding in lately and it's really it's sweet to remember very sweet so i want to move on to this relatively new moniker that you adopted aro pendola 
up until 2020, you performed under your your name, Joanna Schubert. And I was reading a recent interview you did where you said you felt like uh, your your name hindered you creatively. I was just wondering if you could elaborate on that a little bit. How do you feel that it hindered you and how adopting this moniker has helped you to open up and maybe expand creatively? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that um, <clears throat> for a while, I had a relatively fixed sense of who I was and who I could be and should be. Um, and that's just something that I have struggled with throughout my life of kind of like pigeonholing myself or just getting comfortable in one area and not really. Um, and it's interesting because I think that oftentimes, I mean, not always, but oftentimes when people get maybe get older, there's more of a fixed sense of self. And before that, there's like a lot more experimentation. And I kind of feel, I feel the opposite. Um, that for, yeah, for whatever reason, um, just had this fixed thing for a while. And I, I don't know when I realized that I wasn't, actually, I think it's when I started playing with other people more heavily, um, that I was like, am I making music that I like? <laughs> <laughs> or like, am I making music that just comes out yeah. of me? <laughs> like, am I enjoying it? Is it what I would like to listen to? Um, so I, yeah, I think it was like the, partially the muscle memory that was coming in of playing with other people and being like, oh, this feels so good to play. This feels so good to sing. This feel, and this is like what I listen to as well. And I just started getting, you know, like somehow gave me permission to be more explorative. Um, and then at that point, Joanna Schubert just wasn't feeling right. You know, it just carried, carried many years of, of um, I just, I wanted a fresh start. So I was kind of half-ass looking around for, you know, thinking about a name for a while. And Oropendula just kind of, it kept popping into my songs. I like wrote a couple, couple songs around 2019 that the Oropendula was this like, recurring character. It's a, it's a bird. Yeah. Known with, for yeah. singing and stuff I read. Species of bird that's somewhat <laughs> musically inclined. It's so, it's the most beautiful call um, that I have ever heard. I, I took a trip to Peru in 2019 and I, um, I was staying in a lodge in, um, in the Amazon and every morning I'd wake up to like a symphony of symphony of birds <laughs> and just kind of like later found out that the one that I was most captivated by was the Oropendula um, and eventually I don't know over time I had a little like laundry list of possible names and I just decided to try on Oropendula it's it translates to golden pendulum in Latin and um, 
I'm really, that really resonates with me. Um, and it's also a very kind of like silly and gregarious bird while having this call of like utmost complexity. It hangs, it swings upside down on its branch during mating season, like as it's singing. It's very goofy. That's great. We definitely don't have cool birds like that around here. No, I mean, they're all beautiful, but like not like yeah, that. Yeah, not right? like hanging upside down singing it's impressive <laughs> very impressive yeah yeah actually there's this um uh just quick little like anecdote there's this um composer um that i had found on instagram during the pandemic named alex lieberman or alexander lieberman and he transcribes bird songs um and other animal other animal sounds and I asked him if he would do the Oropendula, and he, and he was open to it, but he, he was like kind of busy, and he was like, "Can you find like a video that's really like a, a recording that's really yeah. clear? That's also a video." <clears throat> and I was having a hard time finding something, and then maybe I don't know, probably like six months after I originally requested it, he was like, "Hey, uh, I did it," <laughs> and he said that it was one of the most complicated transcriptions he's wow. ever he's ever done because I guess yeah there's something about about that call that just is so um kind of like foreign to the human ear great story and just seems like such a great uh name to adopt as a songwriter too thanks so for for this record you know it's definitely different sounding than anything you've done as Joanna Schubert uh, how do you feel you've grown in as as a musician, and how do you feel that this record is different than anything you've created before? First, I I want to admit that there is a a part of me that um that feels like I want to wipe all of the Joanna Schubert music off of the internet, <laughs> and that I'm feeling. I'm feeling things about you having listened to it, even though that totally makes sense. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, it's just it's just completely different. It's um, I think there was a real um, kind of like they you know before it was very acoustic singer songwriter. Um, I think. I generally felt a little like everything, there's definitely a precision to this record, but I think that there's a difference between the precision that existed before and there's like more of a freedom now. Um, I teamed up with, uh, with Zubin Hensler, who uh, is a really great producer and um, engineer, mixer, musician who um, also worked on, uh, has worked with Half Wave yeah. on a bunch of stuff. So that's kind of like where I first heard his name, but then later on a friend, I don't know, it happened in a very fateful sort of way. Like a friend's friend recommended her friend to co-produce and he was like, I don't think I'm who you're looking for, but you should talk to Subin. Um, so I kind of like made my way back to him after initially researching him and we had like 
bunch of mutual friends and um, yeah, yeah, working with him during a time when I had already been um, like wildly expanding my desires and horizons of like what I wanted to make and what I wanted to be was just kind of, um, you know, it was like a nice serendipitous thing. Um, and he could like, I don't know, songwriting and arranging and like conceptualizing what I want to hear are, are strengths of mine, but like programming, yeah. you know, is not necessarily. And like, I'm not, I don't have like wildly technical expertise. So we just worked, we had like this really incredible flow where he kind of helped me fully, fully realize everything that was already in my head and or everything we just created um, together. Um, I, I, had, I had come out of, I think I, I, I was ready at that time to make, to make a record because I had pretty much just been sitting in my room for months during the pandemic. Yeah like making music in a way that I had never, that I had never um, made it before. And it was pretty much never like, I wanna write this song or I want to, you know, it, nothing was really goal oriented. It was just, I don't know, all I could do was sit around and improvise for like hours and hours and hours on yeah, end. Take, take me back to that period because it you know talking to a lot of different artists over the last couple of years there seemed to be some where it was a very fruitful creative period for others it was kind of a challenge what was it like for you at first did you find yourself kind of resigning yourself to the the reality of the situation and thinking almost immediately you know i need to make the best of it and focus on you know taking this time to write a lot or did it take a little more time before you kind of hit a groove yeah I, th I th well it happened pretty quickly but it wasn't it wasn't really from a place of trying to create it was like from from more of like a that was my way that was like my most natural way of existing yeah. at that moment and i i had already been um i had started the artist's way yeah. a few months prior um the artist's way a spiritual guide to higher creativity have you done it no but i read that you did it it's uh, julia cameron's oh, okay. book right the the artist's way and she has this yeah thing i guess writing exercise right called the morning pages where she does uh you know improvises writing every morning right yeah yeah so she um her version of morning pages is is free form you know yeah. pen to paper writing three front and back pages and i was i mean i was really going hard on like the creativity self-help at the yeah. at the time this was like january 2020 and i 
my friend Emily Muir is a creative coach, a creativity coach, and I was also like I took a I did a few sessions with her because I just felt like uh, I just felt really stuck, and she I told her my idea of um, morphing the the writing morning pages into like an improvised morning pages. And she was like, yeah, great. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> I, I somehow like needed her permission. Um, but that, yeah, that's really what I was already in, in the habit of, of doing that, of just like waking up in the morning and it's like my first exhale would be, um, music um it was either like on the keyboard or guitar ukulele i was playing around with a vocal looper at the time um also was lucky to have a backyard at the time and i would often go out there and so it was just um yeah it was kind of just therapy was that challenging and then how'd you take all of those ideas and kind of put them together for songs on this record well sometimes they would just um sometimes i would already just be really excited about whatever i was working on like i my my voice memos are are a mess um if if you look in 2020 i mean a mess and a beautiful yeah. thing at the time there must have been like 10 at least 10 voice memos a day um because i would yeah, I would just keep going. So if something excited me or if it felt like there was a flow, if it felt like I was really resonating with something um, musically or emotionally, I would just keep going and it would it would just become a song. And then, so that was less about like going back through the archive and finding things. Um, but then there were, there were a few times that I... Um, I don't know, like Trust the Sun, for example, um, a song on the record came from a chord progression that I must have played over and over in like many, many of these morning pages. And it was just never, it like never settled. It never like found its, it never found itself. Um, so that was one that I, that was a little less organic that I was like, I know I love this and I, but it's not like finding its home. It's not finding its emotional resonance. So I have to like sit down with it and figure it out. So yeah, like a mixture of the flow and then just crafting over time. Yeah. At the edge of it, based on, you know, reading a, up a little bit about this song, great song. And it, it's a song that appears in the middle of the record. And it seems to be a song that was like truly born pretty organically from this method. Uh, t tell me a little bit about how that song came together. Yeah, I, it was a vocal looper improvisation. Um, and I, the whole, the loop that um, is the bed of At the Edge of It that starts the song off was originally the only um, accompaniment for for the song. So it's, I think it's like a six part loop. Um, maybe I like re-recorded one of them 
<laughs> but it was it was yeah. pretty it was pretty flow flowy. And then there was just a um, like tap yeah. on the microphone that was its steady accompaniment. Um, and then I ha have to admit that I had thought that the lyrics just kind of like came out all in one. But then I looked I looked back at my voice memos the other day. I think it actually went through like a few yeah. a few iterations. Um, but I but that loop the loop yeah. came out immediately, and I. I improvised over that a few times um, until the current lyrics pretty much immediately came out. Um, and I was really questioning it because I found it, I don't know, I was questioning like whether they were a little too confessional yeah. or a little too like train of thought and not really like saying enough. And then I felt like that was the point totally and you've played a supporting role in projects like halfway barry other projects you've toured with them i was curious if did you take anything away from touring with those projects and working with them that you maybe apply to your own work now so much um yeah i've i've learned i've learned a lot from playing and, and touring with other people um, I, yeah, for, for both, um, well, I guess Barry and Halfway for the two kind of, with two tours that I yeah. went on, but I also have like played in a bunch of friends' bands on and off and more regularly. <clears throat> and it's like a mixture of the creative creative inspiration and also just um, people at, you know, kind of like different stages of career, like it's really helpful to have, to see what other people are doing and how, and how they're doing it. Because um, for me, this album making process was a first, like I had recorded before, but I had never... I had never put a full album together. You know, there's so many things to think about yeah. when you're putting, you know, more than an EP's worth of songs together. Yeah. And then also not just put the songs together, but like wanted to make a whole multimedia yes. project yeah. out of it. You know, I before it was like, all right, I'm recording these songs and then I'm I guess I'll tell some people about <laughs> it and then I'm just going to I'm just gonna fucking forget about it because I because that's yeah. it, it's too much. Um, but this time, I yeah, I really vowed to myself like, to go hard, <laughs> and I and I went really hard. But I had never done any of it before, so I, yeah, I kind of I, actually asked like, Nandi was really Nandi was really helpful um, with advice about a lot of things um, along the way. And she actually also, and as well as other um, other friends, I really um, was constantly asking friends for advice who had more, more experience than me in this. Um, and Nandi also wrote the album bio, which was really, was really special. But that, that was a very, yeah, that was important for me where it, some things can feel a little gatekeepy, 
sometimes. You know, areas of, a lot of areas can feel gatekeepy. It's like if you don't, how do you, how do you kind of make your way into something if you've never done it before, you know? Um, and the generosity of like friends and friends of friends throughout this time, just like sharing spreadsheets of labels yeah. to reach out to, um, music video collaborators, just there's been so much sharing and I don't know how anyone could do this without without a community like that. Yeah, it's not a one person job, that's for sure. Yeah. No, it's it's not. <laughs> but but then but then it, I guess you are, you know, you just kind of have to be your own engine at the same time, which is it's crazy. I didn't know. Yeah, it's it's very 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 true. So, yeah. so uh, in interviews and in the press release for this album, you've kind of described this particular moment that seems like really central to uh, making this record, and it's the moment that inspired the song Rorschach Sky. It seemed to be like a really surreal moment. So I just curious take us back to that moment it was in april 2020 and that moment seems like it informed so much on the record its themes its overall meaning of the the title of the record too so just take us back to that moment and then also how the song and the title uh started to how did it start to take on this bigger meaning well it was mid-april 2020 I was in my living room <clears throat> in South Slope, Brooklyn. I'm no longer in South Slope, <laughs> Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> watching Twin Peaks when um, Tiger King, I believe, was the, the popular <laughs> yeah, yeah. thing at that time. But but I was watching, I was embarking on Twin Peaks for the first time. I did that during and, the pandemic as well. Watched Twin Peaks for the first oh, you time. Did? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Oh, I would love to talk about that too. <laughs> um, yeah, it was very dark. It was during the day, but we were on a ground floor apartment with very little light. Um, so it was very dark. And I remember looking over um, to the kitchen clock. Um, it was an open, open kitchen living room floor plan. And I was like, I feel like it's earlier than the last time <laughs> that I looked at the clock, but that's not... And then I just kept looking at it, and the, and the clock was moving wow. backwards. And I wasn't... I, God, I'm trying to remember if I... It feels so, it feels so far away. Um, I could... I, there maybe I yelled to somebody to like come take a look, um, but it also just kind of made sense at the time, you know. I think I internalized it as like, yeah, yeah, that's what's that seems to to resonate with with now more than yeah. some kind of like a linear straightforwardness, <laughs> and then it just then it just went back went back to normal. Um, and I, 
But that came up, that kind of came up later. I, with Rorschach Sky, I was originally just improvising that like, the chorus chord progression and I couldn't stop singing. Are we finally off the hook? Tell me, are we off the hook? Just like yeah. over and over and over again. And I remember thinking like, this is so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> like, this is the worst thing. And then I just couldn't stop singing it. And I was like, no, I think it's, I think maybe it's, maybe good, it's good. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then I was like, and it's this double entendre. So like, great, let's just, let's leave it there. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that didn't originally have meaning. It just kind of like, are we finally off the hook? I just, I couldn't, it was kind of, it was kind of that like shining, the shining thing of like all work and no play yeah. makes Jack a dull boy. I just like kept saying it over and over and over and over again until it like seemed to like make a crack in something yeah. and then like it split it open. And then that, that felt like there was room for the, oh my God, yeah and the clock moving backwards and everything just like being turned upside down and being so surreal and um and being so nuanced just everything being everything all at once <laughs> everything everywhere all at once but that is that is kind of what it what it felt like you know and then Rorschach you know it's like searching for like searching for answers yeah, searching for yeah. something but like there's endless interpretation very true flowers on my stoop great song on the record that you wrote while on tour with barry in 2019 how did inspiration strike you while you were on the road and how were you like able to capture it while you know in a van maybe you were in a van i don't know <laughs> <clears throat> I think we were driving from Boise, Idaho to Seattle. It's a long drive, right? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, uh, no, maybe this was not connected to Boise. I don't remember. But I know that we were in Washington because uh, Tacoma, I think, uh, you know how voice memo, like, yeah, it'll track your location on yeah. your, yeah. I think it was like Takima or Tacoma um, training center. And then I looked it up and it was like some kind of like a base in, uh, <laughs> yeah. in Washington. So that yeah. helped me track down where where it happened. Yeah, we were in the van, it was very dark. I think everyone was kind of just like doing their own thing and very tired after a show. Um, and I just really wanted to connect back to myself you know I'd been playing somebody else's music for weeks um and I hadn't been writing anything of my own and I just it was a moment of needing that I didn't have any specific ideas I just like needed to put my fingers on the keys in a way that felt like it was for me um and yeah like stretched out across the back seat with like this like, 61 key Juno uh, Juno DS and like put in put in headphones and I think we you know connected it to the car and um, was playing this chord progression with a, a like a chorus piano sound that Barry had created for that tour um, and it was very just because I had been playing Barry's music for weeks it felt 
Like it was very yeah. Barry inspired, kind of poppy and, um, but also like kind of had a, I don't know. There, there's just like a, a melancholic edge to the to the boppiness <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, and then I, I just went back to it. Uh, I went back to it later on, and it became Flowers of My Friends Too. Great track, one of my favorites on the record. And as I kind of alluded to, you know, this the the album definitely has this overall message. You know, something that I think is like a positive message really focuses, I guess, on being, you know, proactive instead of maybe waiting for things to happen in life or that, you know, there's so many, you know, different ways to interpret things, stuff like that. Uh, what do you hope people take away from the record after listening to it, since it does seem to kind of have this you know, message that kind of comes up in several different songs. Yeah, I, um, well, I, I think of the lines from the song Chrysalis, um, which is the second to last track, and actually was like the last track to make it on. It was, we just felt like the record was missing something. And then I was like, I don't know, there's this song that I wrote that's like fine. Maybe it fits. And then it was like, yes, it ab yes. absolutely fits. Um, but there's one verse says, um, that feeling when a dream is on the tip of your tongue for so long. And then another, the next verse is that feeling when love is on the tip of your tongue for so long. And there, yeah, I mean, it really, the record did just really come from a place of like, of yeah, that feeling of something just being and even like at the edge of it, right? Yeah. Like at the edge of something, all the things are at the tip of your tongue, but you don't quite know how to say them. You don't quite know how to do them. You don't quite know how to jump in. Um, and I, yeah, I hope that, I hope that there is some inspiration taken of like, that acting is, is the way, is the way to learn, you know, like it's all, um, what happens to a dream deferred, yep. it, I mean, obviously very different context, yeah. you know, yeah. but Raising like, in the sun. it festers, yeah, yeah, yeah. it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> wildly yeah. different context, but, 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 but yep. it does, you know, yeah, and, um, it makes me so happy that, like, this collection of songs that, while some of them are totally like upbeat and a bit happy-go-lucky, a lot of it is is steeped in um, like either paralyzing indecision or doubt or fear, and but that they they moved musically and became something else that feels like a celebration, and I and I feel like that that's symbolic of, um, you know, you just try the thing that you're scared to do. Totally. And you see what, and you see what happens and then like, yeah, that's a celebration in and of itself. Just taking one step. Totally. I agree. One of life's great lessons, I think. All right. So now we're going to play some tunes from, Ora Pendola's new record, 
waiting for the sky to speak. We're going to play the first three tracks on the record. Rorschach Sky, Flowers on My Front Stoop, and Knocking Down Flowers. I'm simultaneously disturbed and serene. Simultaneously unnerved and relieved. Shacking up in the middle of a dream. Sprawled on a cul-de-sac. Squinting up at a Rorschach sky.
All right, we just heard three tracks from Aura Pendola's new record, Waiting for the Sky to Speak. We heard the first three songs on the album, Rorschach Sky, Flowers on My Front Stoop, and Knocking Down Flowers. Everyone, the record is available on limited edition vinyl via Bandcamp. And that Bandcamp address is Aura Pendola, that's spelled O-R-O-P-E-N-D-O-L-A dot bandcamp.com. Of course, it's also available on all streaming platforms. And now we're going to talk about the records that Joanna picked from my record collection. So we'll start with Predatory Wasp of the Palisades by Suvian Stevens over Illinois off of his album, Illinois. When I think of this album, I immediately just think of the year, you know, spring of 2006, where I feel like everyone was listening to this record, myself included. (laughs) And very vivid memories of visiting. I remember I went to visit a friend of mine at his school, and the weather was really nice. And I remember this one girl that he was friends with you know, would take a lot of pictures and then each photo album on Facebook, she would name a different song from this record. <laughs> you know, Casimir really Pulaski cute. Day. Yeah, I'm like, so this is like, I totally remember all this stuff Yeah, whenever I listen to this record. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the, ma- that's the magic, yeah. isn't it? A lot of that, that came up for me, too, with a lot of these songs, that, like such strong associations. Yeah, tell me a little bit about some of those associations. Mm. Well, so actually with, um, with, this, particular, uh, with this particular album, um, I have fewer nostalgic associations than the rest, but just an overall like obsession. Because yeah. <laughs> um, this has just um, been with me for... Been with me for uh, a while, and I actually can't really pinpoint when I first when I first heard it. But I, as you may not be surprised to hear, um, I'm so inspired by Sufjan's orchestrating, and it's just it's my favorite. Um, his orchestrations, and then like the George Martin. Um, Beatles stuff like I, I'm I'm very kind of dually in love um, with that. I love arrangements that feel um, that are as like melodic as you know like a vocal melody, um, like an, any arrangements that you can that you can sing back. But I also love how. I mean, when it comes down to it, it, it's just like this really, really, really beautiful, sad yeah. song. Like, it's so poignant. And nothing about the orchestration feels 
like it all it all feels like it's yeah. necessary you know it just tells the story of this song in a way that like happens to also be brilliant um i also lyrically i've just always been really like charmed and like found it really sweet and tender how Sufyan will just I don't know. Like, he'll just say something as simple as, like, my brother was wearing a red shirt. <laughs> or, like, she put her shoulder on my blouse. You know, it's, yeah. it's all about, like, all these, like, little intricate movements and, like, clothing. But it's it's, like, familial relations and, like, the little intricacies of memory that he's so good at and like having so much meaning in a very simple phrase the one line from that record that i find myself just like regularly singing for no reason other than i think it just sounds kind of funny and stuff is like tuesday night at the bible study <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'll sing that to like my wife for it's... no reason whatsoever then we'll sing it back but that's the only line, really. Yeah, yeah. And just over and but over. Prayed over and your over body. Again. I remember that part, too. I'm like, interesting. Yeah. But that's the one line. Just, I guess, the combination of lyrics and uh, melody on that line. Weird lyrics. Yeah. <laughs> and it puts you so solidly in, like, you know, place and time. Yeah. Like, you can already imagine imagine what that is like he's so he's so good at that um he is he definitely <laughs> is <laughs> tuesday night at the bible study yeah it's very <laughs> very specific also just like yeah but the like the first line of this song to be thinking outrageously thinking outrageously yeah. i write in cursive um it's just so it's so beautiful. But yeah, the way the way that this song switches between kind of like a really beauteous like folk simple like folk melody and accompaniment to this like these orchestral explosions, I'll I'll never I'll never yeah, be okay. Yeah, you're totally right. This uh, the way he's able to, you know, weave those together, shift between the two really powerful is he actively religious or is he um just interested in religious Im imagery i think he is like a i think he is cr christian uh actively christian <laughs> Kite <laughs> by Kate Bush off of the the kick inside. Yeah, I really, I was, well, I guess I sent you, I only sent you two options for for Kate, for Kate Bush, but I went back and forth between like ten Kate Bush songs in my mind. Um, it's very it's very hard to choose. And Kate Bush, you know, someone that is has really I guess influenced your. You can definitely hear it, but someone is 
a big influence on this record. Yes, and I actually only started listening to her in like 2017, um, which is pretty. I mean, I guess not as late as the as the the Stranger Things crowd, but it's um, it's. I feel like I saw. But there's like so <laughs> many some... artists out there that it's like hard to have like it's consumed so every one by the time you're like. 22 you know in college know. when you're listening to all sorts of new music there's always like bands and artists out there that you're gonna slowly start to to take in yeah. absolutely so yeah i am um, uh i don't have a favorite i i still have not like solidly picked a, a favorite record of hers um the kick inside is not is not my favorite record of hers but i really really love it um i'm yeah and i'm also just like really i'm just so inspired by just how she like broke out with this record and like how weird it was and how young she was and how she like she was with like a huge with EMI, I think, and she like they wanted James and the Cold Gun to be the single yep. from this album, and she was like, "Nah, it's gonna be Wuthering Heights." <laughs> and she was like 19 years old, although I think 16 when she wrote the songs, and like knew exactly what she wanted and made it happen, and that's just really cool to me. Um, that is so very cool. It's interesting because I recently interviewed uh, the this guy is named Michael Grace Jr. He performs as my favorite. And he was telling me a story about when he went into the studio at 19 and he was working with this producer called Kramer. And the only reason I really know about this guy Kramer is because uh, he recorded like the, the Galaxy 500 songs in the late 80s. And so he's he's mentioned in Dean Warham's uh, memoir a bunch about like being this like insane, crazy producer guy. And this guy, my favorite, was telling me that he gave us a lot of pushback on stuff. But he's like, I was 19 and I had like a solid vision of what I wanted and I I didn't give in. And I was just like, that's incredible to be that young. Yeah. And because I I don't think I could do that if I was 19 years old you know, on the, you know, other side of someone who's like a veteran respected in the industry or, you know, a label telling me exactly what to do or what they think is best, I probably would be just like, okay, cool. So it's impressive that, you know, I didn't know that about Kate Bush on this record, but it's just, you know, very impressive for, you know, a young artist to really be strong in their convictions like that absolutely and a, and a young woman yeah, totally. too especially at that at that time um and yeah like i so kite kite isn't necessarily like my favorite kate bush song but i think it's a really good example of like i mean i i just love it it's <laughs> it's such a bop yeah and it has great vocal arranging um her voice is just one of the wildest voices yeah. I've ever heard, and I think it's really beautiful. Um, but I love how um, I, I also kind of chose this song because I think something that Kate Bush has like given me permission 
to do, you know, just like getting to her over the years, I have, I felt like, oh, you know, I, I can be like, it's, it's great to be like a little over the top and theatrical and like super playful and that can still be like really yeah. artistic. And I, I think that because I was a theater kid growing up and then I kind of like sharply stopped yeah. that and maybe almost, I don't know, there was also a time when I, like I wasn't, I used to be really into musical theater and there's like some that I'm still, you know, like I'm a, I'll be like a Sondheim girl through yeah. and through. I think, I think he's, his compositions are amazing, very like Ravel influenced, but I'm, but I did like kind of turn my back and I think anything, I kind of like theatrical became almost a dirty word to me. Um, also when I stopped or when I felt like I wanted to start writing different music, I used to get like, oh, this sounds like it could be in a musical. And I'd be like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> so then, and then I would, I would like get scared be like, no, there's something wrong with that. But then, yeah, Kate Bush is all about the theatrical and she makes it work. Classic song, TLC, Creed. I was just, I just knew that I needed to, there needed to be an example of like a 90s R&B pop um, thing. So I, I was looking around for Destiny's Child and I oh, couldn't I'm find sorry. anything. And you're in your amazing Almost record collection. Almost bought a 12 inch single of Bills, Bills, Bills though recently. <laughs> But then in my Discogs cart, someone else bought it, so it was removed from my cart. So, oh, but maybe may, hopefully soon I'll have some Destiny's Child because those twelve-inch singles are great because they have all these. I've been DJing a lot more over the last year, so I've been acquiring like twelve-inch hip hop R&B singles and stuff, and they all have these cool remixes on them that I guess were given to like club DJs and and stuff like that. So there's all these like mm. remixes that are not on Spotify. A lot of them are on YouTube though. So a lot of them have these like cool extended remixes and stuff. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Cool. I I'd love to I'd love to hear that on Bills Bills Bills. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh Creep is just like an incredible, yeah. <laughs> an incredible song, and also TLC. Like they're they were like the coolest around, you know. Um, they also like stood for pretty amazing, yeah. amazing stuff. Um, I think God, what was it like? Was it Left Eye or another of them who like had like a condom eye, like yeah. attached Over her to? Left yeah, eye, I think. yeah, on her glasses. Yeah. <laughs> And then it like just became part of like yeah. the outfit staple to like, you know, spread the word about, you know, just safe yeah. sex education and like STI um, awareness and 
it's really, really cool. Um, I also like watched a, an interview with them recently where, I mean, this was when they were like pretty damn famous. And I think someone asked them like, how's it, how's it going? And they were like, we're yeah, broke. I, that's been circulating TikTok and Instagram, I think, a reel of that. And then she goes through like step by step why they're broke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, God, it's such a sad thing. <laughs> but like, but that, that song is, and also, uh, I guess, Left Eye's rap, which isn't in every version of the song, but is actually kind of like pushing pushing back on the song, like they didn't write yeah. the song, um, which I guess is like about, like is, is about infidelity. Yeah. Um, and, and her verse was like kind of, I think her way to make the song actually like more palatable yeah. to them. Super great song and her verse is straight fire on that track. Yeah. So Fire, speaking of fire, by Waxahachie off of St. Cloud. I heard Waxahachie for the very first time not so long ago in 2021. I was visiting my friend Emily when she lived in Wyoming, in Jackson. And... We were, yeah, she and her partner just lived there for like a blip of time during the pandemic and holy shit, is it a beautiful yeah. place <laughs> and a weirdly expensive oh, wow, place, which makes sense because it's like, just like a ski yeah. spot. Um, so yeah, it's like way more expensive than New York. Cause it's like the, the most, everything is yeah, the most yeah. expensive. Um, but we were driving around, um, I think either going on a hike or coming back home from a hike and she played Waxahachie and so forever kind of like um have this association of like the fresh air blown in through the car and like seeing the Grand Teton Mountains out the window and fire fire is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard with like a really great melody. So fun to sing and it's so acrobatic. West Memphis is on fire in the light of day. Give me something. It ain't enough. It ain't Another beautiful song, The Last Time I Saw Richard by Joni Mitchell off of Blue. Um, I, sometimes I get really, um, I get really, like, attached to, like, phrases or just, like, like, one little part of a song. And the thing that always comes back to me with The Last Time I Saw Richard was, um, 
and he pushed three buttons <laughs> and the thing began to whirl. <laughs> and just the way, the way that she says yeah. buttons, like gets me so hard. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the lyric, just the lyrics of this song are so gorgeous. I, I, I feel like I want to like frame every line, <laughs> you know, like, like I, I want someone to tell me that my, even though this wasn't necessarily like a compliment in the, in the interaction of the song, like I want someone to be like, your eyes are full of moon, you know? <laughs> um, Amazing line. And I, yeah, something that always strikes me about Joni, like that I'm just really, you know, I'm endlessly inspired by her in general, but I love um, how conversational her vocal cadences are. Um, and it's just, it's really lyrical, but it's like really natural. Um, and whereas I, f I feel like, I don't know, I'm also really attracted to like highly rhythmic parts but I just love how she, her words just kind of like cascade over the song. Very much so. That's a very accurate description. You like roses and kisses and pretty men to tell you all those pretty lies, pretty lies. When you're gonna Next up, Save Me From What I Want by St. Vincent off of Actor, her 2011 album. Another record that I really associate with the time period, for sure. Yeah, what's it for you? Oh man, 2011, uh, probably just like rollicking around Prospect Park and stuff. And, you know, the weather being nice, I was in my early to mid 20s i guess early 20s so i really remember that vividly as a fun time in my life too I feel like things were simpler yeah <laughs> so <Side. laughs> yeah i was um let's see i was at skidmore college at the time and i was uh getting a ride from something, I was getting a ride from somewhere to somewhere on campus uh, with a friend and she put on St. Vincent and I was like, what the fuck is this? This is crazy. And I was just, um, yeah, I was really, I was really swept up. And I don't remember what, I don't remember what song she played actually. But I just remember, like, from that day forward, um, yeah, that was, uh, I went, I went on a deep dive. Um, and I've seen her, I've seen her live a couple times. Um, I know she can also sometimes be, well, I saw, I saw a comedy show. Um, I'm actually, sorry, wow. My brain, my brain likes to, likes to tangent. That's I'll make good, it though. the tiniest tangent. Um saw this comedian I generally don't really sometimes comedy makes me uncomfortable because I feel like like I 
I don't know, something about like standing up on stage and, and saying things like doesn't always strike me as funny. Yeah. Like I needed to be a little more but Chris Fleming is a comedian I really like and he kinda went in on Saint Vincent for like being too cerebral. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I get it. I get it to some degree, but I also think there is a lot of feeling to her songs. But also the it she's she's just brilliant. So Save Me From What I Want, um for me is uh just kind of a perfect song um and those dissonant harmonies yeah. on the save me save me it's so she does such a good job in general of like tension and release 100 percent, i totally agree yeah and i think at the time she was um listening to she said she was listening to a lot of or watching a lot of like disney movies from the 30s and 40s um and i love music from old yeah. Disney movies. Um, and she, yeah, so a lot of, a lot of the kind of like, uh, vintage sounding choir yeah. stuff in her album is, is like Disney inspired. I did not know that, but that makes a lot of sense. In my pocket, and Silver Soul by Beach House off of Teen Dream. <laughs> Beach House is very nostalgic Same. for me. Um, yeah, I think it's like been the soundtrack to like most romantic relationships I have been. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like, let's play Beach House. <laughs> um, and it's just, yeah. I mean, not just romantic relationships, too. It's, like, it's a very, it's very good soundtrack material. Yeah. Um, a lot of emotion, so I remember, the ebbs and flows, too. Yeah, yeah, very cinematic. Yeah. Very cinematic. And also, I I love lyrics. Um, I care about lyrics, but with them, I don't, I don't really care what they're saying. Because I also, like, often don't really know what they're saying. I feel you. Because a lot of times I just feel the music, and I'm not super paying attention to necessarily what they're saying, but how what they're saying combined combined with the sounds they're making makes me feel. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And they And Beach House does such such a yeah. good job at that um yeah everything is so simple but is so perfectly placed to just like hit you straight in the heart um i'll always remember it wasn't this song it was actually it was wild from bloom but that became like my my desert my desert song <laughs> not that i'm in the desert yeah. that often but i took a trip to new mexico in 2013 with a friend and like we just played that while we were driving from um taos to uh to santa fe and it was one of the most beautiful drives um and the the 
the geography around us just really like echoed the the ebbing and flowing like you were yeah. saying of the song so so beautifully um so yeah and also like uh, the victoria's singing on silver soul to me feels like i don't know there's like an extra rawness and like grittiness to it that that isn't necessarily on other songs and not even in a way that's better yep. just in a way that like feels different different yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I had a great time learning more about your new record, Waiting for the Sky to Speak. It's your debut full length as Oren Pendela, and it's out now via Spirit House Records. You can get it at Oren Pendela. That's O R O P E N. D-O-L-A.bandcamp.com. It's also available on all streaming purchases. And everyone, get get a copy on vinyl. It's available via Bandcamp. Thank you so much, John. It was really great great to speak with you. What's next for you now that the record is out? Now I'm just going to be trying my hand at some some touring. Awesome. yeah, so the like the release show was a big like seven to nine person band experience yeah. and um to like really just get the album in its fullest form and everything coming up will be uh either small small groups or solo. Cool. Um yeah, so there's just a bunch of tour legs coming up upstate and some northeast and maybe a southern thing and then a european thing in october wow european tour yeah that's very very all, exciting yeah it's it's all yeah a continuation of of the new and i'm i'm excited i'm excited as well joanna thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today thank you so much We're going to play one last song from Waiting for the Sky to Speak. It's the last track on the album, When You Carried Me. You know, life on 
carried me home Draped over your shoulder like the sudden fading fast When you carried me When you carried me home Sun over the water, the light we knew would always guide us If I were a lonely whale Rising up with each When you carried me home, sun over the water, the light.